Well, I don't know if you were as happy as I was. I know that Beth was happy when I asked her to read, and there were only seven verses. We've been reading such large chunks of Scripture of late. And it's been great. And in Acts, it's a lot of narrative, right? And so it flows together. And so we come to these seven verses. And I think before uh, preparing this week, I thought to myself, well, this is kind of a break. It's a little bit of a lull. It's an opportunity for us to just take a deep breath until we launch into what becomes the first martyr of the Christian faith, Stephen, that's in the next couple of verses. Um, But as I prepared and as I considered this passage, this passage is an incredible passage for us to contemplate for a few minutes. Um, A passage that is often dismissed in the church is simply the appointing of deacons for the first time. A lot of people go here and they say this is where the office of the diaconate came from. And I'm probably not persuaded from this passage that that's what it is. If anything, it's the beginning of structure of the church. I can go with that. And the word that we get deacon from is mentioned in here three different times. And so I understand the concept of where it is. But there's something so much more beautiful played out for us in this passage than simply that. It's not that it's not that, but it's so much more than that. And I want to ask you a question. If you have found yourself in church today, and if you aren't a professing Christian, if you don't put your faith in Christ yet, I want to ask you something. What are you looking for in the church that might make you stop and reconsider who Christ is and what he has done for human beings? What are you looking for? Maybe for those of you who are Christians, I would ask it this way. What do you think that God uses in his church to attract the world to the church? Because I think that is what is happening in these verses and nothing short of that. It's an interesting time for us to consider this passage. You know that we're becoming our own church in the next couple of weeks. Um, But it's also an interesting time in the context of the Lenten season, the season that leads up to Easter. I know that the men's Bible study, I don't know about the women's Bible study, but the men's Bible study is actually using the Ten Commandments, one each week as they prepare their hearts and say, what could we practically repent of? Well, hang on, because I think this passage offers us some great opportunities as we sit and consider those two questions. What are you looking for in the church that might make you stop and reconsider who Jesus is? Or what do you think God uses to attract people, the world, to his church? Well, here's my argument. Here's what I want to show you today. That the church, and thus Christ the King, us, that the church is called to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Therefore, we must live lives of service toward one another. We must live lives of service toward one another so that a hungry world might experience the transformative power of Jesus at work. That's what's going on in these verses and nothing short of that. So look at these verses in the beginning with me and think about this idea. The church, Christ the King, is called to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see that what happened here is that there's an argument that came amongst the people who had been gathered in the first century as the church, right? We read in the very beginning that the disciples were increasing in number almost consistently and that a complaint by the Hellenists, who were the Greek-speaking Jews, 
the complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, because the Hellenists' widows were being neglected, they said, in the daily distribution. Now you remember that both in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, people were selling their goods and bringing them to the apostles and laying them at their feet so that those who were in need could be given what they needed. Remember, people were coming to faith. They had traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost and now they were staying there and they needed support. And none other, none less than the widows who had put their faith and trust in Christ by this point. And this brought up a big problem. Essentially what happened is that it forced the 12, at least for a period of time, maybe just a day, who knows how long, to stop praying and to stop the ministry of the word and to figure out what are we going to do about the conflict that has arisen within us. And so you get this concept that the apostles say in, chapter, in, verse two, in verse 3 here, or in verse 2, that they bring everybody together and they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The church realizes in this moment of conflict that the main thing for the church is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? You've heard that phrase before. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if we can hold on to that, that's great. From the beginning to the end of Acts, the focused mission, the dominant, the overriding, the all-controlling motif of the entire book of Acts is missionary witness. And here we see the third of three threats against that missionary witness. We've already seen the one threat of persecution. That came out already as the apostles had to go before the councils. And the councils told them, stop talking about Jesus. And when they didn't, they beat them. And then we also saw this idea of corruption entering the church through Ananias and Sapphira. And now we see this third threat. Maybe the greatest threat that the church has come up against yet, is distraction by internal conflict in the church. This is an attempt to stop the preaching of the word. Remember, the, accu or, or the, um, the demands of the leaders of the church, of the leaders of the people and of the temple against the apostles was stop talking about Jesus. And here we see that this internal conflict was attempting that same end, that they would have to stop talking about Jesus. The leaders in this passage were called to keep this in the forefront of their minds, the need for prayer and for the ministry of the word. Just like Jesus did. You remember in the life of Jesus, his life was filled with prayer and with preaching. And when he left, he commanded the apostles, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I've told you, right? And we understand that through prayer and the ministry of the word, that the church grows, that the kingdom advances, that more people come into the church. And if that is done according to God's plan, there's an increase of diversity in the church. 
And even here we see this cultural difference brought into the church. These Hellenized Jews, these Jews who had adopted much more of the Greek culture than the Aramaic-speaking Jews who had, who had kept the Greek culture at an arm's length. And suddenly, these, these groups are brought into close proximity with each other. You see, there's something unique about the community of the church. The community of Jesus, the church, actually deals with sin. And it's unlike other communities. I remember having one discussion with a friend of mine who says that his company is his favorite place in the world because everyone there is happy. <laughs> and everyone there is focused on the same thing. And everyone there has just got their laser focus on. And in a passing comment, he said, why can't the church be that way? Why can't the church just be filled with happiness? And the answer is right here. Because the church, unlike other communities, deals with sin and sinners. If you don't believe me, look around the room. <laughs> and if that's not enough for you, I'll be even more bold. Look in the mirror. The church deals with people like you and me. Sinful people. And thus the church is dependent. It's dependent on prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, the church, and, and thus CTK, is called to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Therefore, we must live lives of service toward one another. What's the temptation that's opposite of the idea of living lives of service? Well, look at it with me. It's right here in front of you. It says in the very first verse that as the numbers increased, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The idea, the temptation for your heart and for mine is that we use the church as a consumer. That we consume the church. That when we come to church, our focus is on ourselves and we come to get what is missing in our lives, right? And the way that we began to see this is because Luke here uses this interesting word for complaining or a complaint arose. It's a loaded word. It's a word that implies that there has been injustice, but injustice at the intent to abuse. An intentional injustice. What's interesting is it's the same word that's used in the Old Testament when it talks about in Exodus and in Numbers the people of God who are brought into the wilderness and they complain against God in, in the Old Testament. You brought us out here to kill us. Right, even as God was rescuing them. Here they're not complaining against God. They're complaining against each other. But within a, they, with, with this injustice, it says you intend to abuse us. And it's a huge threat to unity. Whenever we slip into complaint with the accusation of intent to hurt, we begin to see this idea of dissension and of division in the church. And we begin to see how we use our experience against each other, even in the church. And that's why this is such a huge threat to the church. 
And we look at this and we say, help. What do we do? What's going to happen? Well, the apostles draw everybody together, right? They draw them all together and they say in verses 2 and 3, again, it's not right that we should stop uh, preaching the word and serve tables. This is the first place where that word is referenced that is from the definition or what it means to, to be a deacon, to serve. It's here in this idea of serving tables. It's, it's actually in verse 1 as well in this idea of distribution. That's the, the daily service. It's there as well. And then the apostles say this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What are they going to do in the midst of this need for help? They tell them, appoint these men of good repute. This idea that these men would have been trustworthy. They would have been interacted in the community and known we can trust this one to help us through this conflict. Right? And then it says, full of the Holy Spirit. How would you even begin to understand what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, remember, it's the gift that Peter has already told the leaders of the temple is offered to anyone who is willing to repent and receive the forgiveness of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit for those who obey, right? And the Apostle Paul writes the Galatians and he says, let me tell you what the fruit of the Spirit-filled person is. That person is marked with love, joy, and peace as part of their lives. A realization that God has poured his love out in us. The result of that realization, great joy leading to peace that passes understanding. Followed with these attributes of relational intent, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can go to Galatians 5 and read those if you want to. And then finally the apostles said, and those who are wise. Those who know how to enter into conflict and deal with even the present situation that's at hand. You know, one of the best ways that you can tell who's wise, who enters into conflict, is that instead of just believing accusations, they enter in and ask questions, right? What's going on? What hurts? What has happened? What do we need to do to fix it? How can we help? If the church is called to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Therefore, we must live lives of, ser of service toward one another. The question arises, how do we live lives of service? How does that come to pass? Where is the hope for that? And where is the power? I think it's right here in verse 4. The apostles respond and they say, but as for us, but for us, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. What does the church need? The church needs the same thing that God uses to advance the church in mission, and it's a dependence on prayer and the ministry of the word. Central to prayer is the concept of dependence. I do not have what I need to even live in community, even in the church. Jesus, help us. Help us to live lives in service to one another. 
the focus of the ministry of the word, which up to this date, Peter, in every opportunity he has, has focused on the risen and the reigning Jesus. The ministry of the word is that our king reigns. That he is at work in us by the power of the spirit to bring even us, even us, to repentance and to forgiveness. That these are the gifts along with the Holy Spirit that lead us to reconciliation with one another. This is incredible. What's interesting is the concept arose from widows. And if you dig around with widows in the scripture a little bit, you begin to understand that God takes widows very seriously. In fact, in Deuteronomy 10, he actually says that if you want to know what kind of God he is, he is the kind of God that takes care of widows, he says in Deuteronomy 10. Jesus uses that picture in Luke 18 when Jesus encourages persistent, devoted prayer and he uses the picture of a widow in front of an unjust judge and says, if this unjust judge will finally meet the needs of this widow, how much more will the just father who wants to meet the injustice being proclaimed, how much more will he respond to you speedily? See, Jesus says in Matthew 20, the quote that's in your order of worship, that he came to serve. That same word from which we get the idea of deacons. That Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And ultimately, we've already been told that Jesus gives as a gift the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. That's what Peter said in chapter 6, or earlier in chapter 5 of Acts. And even more radical than that, when Jesus teaches us how to pray in Luke 11, he actually says, if your earthly fathers who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? This gifting that incorporates the entirety of who God is because the church, His body, us, we need it. We need absolutely every bit of it. Because we are the porcupines who are trying to find warmth on a cold night. And the closer we get to each other as we're commanded to be, the more we begin to sin against each other. But we have everything that has been given. I thought about this this week as I watched the 60 Minutes episode on the Prince of Monarch, of Monaco rather. Uh, the reigning monarch of Monaco, Prince Albert. I don't know if any of you like Monaco. I've been engaged with it since I was in college. I got to go there, and I thought, man, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. 
And so when I saw that there was this moment where I could learn a little bit more about Monaco from 60 Minutes, I was watching it. And it was really fun. They opened it up and they said, we want you to meet the prince. He's the reigning monarch of Monaco. And he's actually really easy to get a hold of. All we did was call his office and say, can we have a meeting? And he answered the phone and he said, sure, I'll give you a meeting. There are 6,000 people in Monaco that have passports in Monaco. That's it, 6,000. They don't pay any taxes and they're not allowed to gamble. Isn't that odd? Because the biggest money-making thing in Monaco is the investment of people's money and the gambling. But if you're a citizen of Monaco, you can't gamble. But if you want to talk to the prince of Monaco, it's easy to do. You just call him up. The prince of Monaco handles everything for, Mon for Monaco. He runs the entire country himself. He writes the bills. He balances the checkbook. He takes care of all the business, and you can talk to him. I want you to know, there might be no other prince in the entirety of the world who is more like your King Jesus. Because he is available to you right now to talk to him to receive what you need from him because he handles his kingdom from start to finish. He's in control of all of it. And he says, if I've given you myself, how much more will I give you everything that you need? And this is why the church is called to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word Therefore, we must live lives of service to one another. But the end is so that a hungry world might experience the transformative power of Jesus at work. That's how this ends. Verses 5 and 6, it says the people heard what the apostles said. They said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. That right there is amazing. Folks in conflict and, and somebody throws out an idea to make sure that things are handled equitably and everybody goes, we agree. And they brought together seven people who would begin to organize this distribution in this period. And this is why the idea that this is the root of diaconate comes from here is because this control over the funds of the church. And it makes sense, but here... Even the apostles are called servants or diaconos, the, the ministers of the word, the servants of the word. So there's something bigger going on. But what you see is you see that like the righteous judge in Luke 18, the cries of the widow were heard immediately. Peace was restored. Forgiveness and reconciliation went forward. And you go, man, wouldn't you love more of that in your life? Wouldn't we love more of that among ourselves? In your heart, where do you feel alienated from this body? Wouldn't it be awesome to have more of this reality of community among ourselves? This is exactly what Jesus does. Listen to how it ends. The ending is fantastic. They set these before the apostles. The apostles then prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that an interesting way for it to end? The threat at the beginning was that the word, the ministry of the word would have to be stopped. But here we see by the end of this that not only was the ministry of the word not stopped, but it went forward and the, the disciples multiplied in number. And then Luke says this really strange thing to you and me. Oh yeah, and, and I forgot to tell you, there were a lot of priests that also came to obedience in the faith. You kind of scratch your head and you're like, why were there a lot of priests that came to obedience in the faith? And do you want to know why? Because the priests were watching. The priests, since the time of the Old Testament, were connected with the widows and the orphans, the fatherless. Because when people would come and give tithe to the church, do you know who benefited from that tithe? The priests and the Levites and the widows and the orphans did. The priests who were watching this community and who were wondering, will they take care of their own? Will they lead lives of service? They were watching. And when they saw these who were among the brothers and sisters who were willing to serve with their lives to meet the needs of the community when they saw them come up this spoke volumes to the priests because they knew from the Old Testament we're connected to those widows and if they care for them and we become a part of it they'll care for us as well because it's just like the character of God But it's not just the hungry, literally, who are fed in the church. It is also the hunger of the world. The hunger for forgiveness and for reconciliation. The likes of which nothing can compare to what is offered in the church. Because the church does not say, clean yourself up before you come in but come to a Savior who willingly serves you and gives his life as a ransom for you. And that seeing and experiencing him might set people like you and me free to serve each other. Here's the argument one more time. The church, thus CTK, is called to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. Therefore, we must live lives of service to one another so that a hungry world might experience the transformative power of Jesus at work. He's the one that says, those of you who are weary, you're heavy laden, you're made aware of your sin, Come to me. I'll give you rest. Because forgiveness, repentance, transformation, being changed, it's all possible in Christ. Let's go to him now.